Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the New Books and Sociology podcast on New Books Network. Hi, I'm Deidre Tyler, the host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Davis, the author of Flint's Journey from Crisis to Recovery, Tainted Tap. Hello, Dr. Davis. Hello, Dr. Tyler. I wonder if you could begin by telling us a bit about yourself and how you began the book project. Uh well, um, I am a Flint native, uh, and when I say Flint native, I was born and raised in Flint. Uh, I began this book project uh, in 2011, and this is when I was finishing up a, a study um, on transit workers. And, and so right at the end of the study, I said, okay, now I can really go for my dream study, which was on Flint. Uh, I study resilience. I care about what um, groups, people, Black folks in particular have to go through to just get things done. Uh, and so I, over time, I, it's, it, you know, it's not always easy to find the right uh, outcome, right? You know, so if you care about uh, resilience, you, you, you know, it's sometimes we get uh, um, uh, some sort of environmental injustice to study, uh, but it's not always something very, very concrete, uh, like the, the Warren uh, County protest or, or something like that. You know, we have to find these, these studies. And so what I ended up doing, I waited years <laughs> to, to find an angle for Flint. Because it's, you know, uh, it's always been a really interesting place to me. In fact, I, I wanted to uh, uh, replicate the Detroit area study. And so I walked around, uh, not walked around, but I was, I hung around um, Ann Arbor um, for about six months, really thinking about the approach to this, this project. Um, at that point, it was just about essential services, namely um, uh, police support, public safety, how um, are those services, um, you know, shaped by community uh, action on this, on sort of just getting uh, their, their uh, streets patrolled or, or their 911 calls um, uh, addressed uh, and what happens when you know, none of those things are happening. How are people pushing back? And so I was in a space where I was looking at um, Flint uh, in terms of how uh, things had uh, um, declined over time because of uh, General Motors and, and other companies sort of um, abandoning Flint, how things declined because of depopulation. Um, and, and how things decline 
primarily because the state of Michigan decided to take away sales tax um, from many of or its municipalities. And so Flint lost over, I think, about 10 years, the $55 million in, in funds that would ordinarily um, get used to uh, deal with essential services. And so, again, when I was looking at uh, this, this topic starting around like 2011, I was in a space where, again, looking at a, a broke city, right, they're, they're not going to, you know, really come up. This, those, those approaches were, let's put a casino there. Well, that's not going to work for a place like, like Flint. They tried it in Detroit. That barely worked, right? And so, basically, you know, what are people doing with what they have? So, fast forward, I'm, I'm going through whatever I can. I can with regard to archives, um, public documents, et cetera, regarding the city of Flint. I get a phone call from a family member who says the water is bad. And um, I did my own uh, search. And sure enough, people were saying the water was bad and they were saying nobody was doing anything about it. And so uh, I waited until the end of the academic year and I... Um, jumped on a plane and, you know, headed to Flint to interview uh, some folks about the water. When I um, spoke with them and, you know, I'm, I'm speaking with uh, leaders, people who had sort of, um, uh, who had complained about the water, who had started uh, town meetings, um, and also other leaders who care about the community. And so uh, after I heard from them and, and uh, we chopped it up about the, the situation, uh, I just, you know, I became more intrigued by the topic, but I didn't really get, um, I don't know, drawn in until they tried to play me. See, when they tried to play me is when I, uh, I'm just looking up the public data, you know, just trying to figure out, okay, if if some if there's blood lead uh, um, poisoning in Flint, we're supposed to see it to some degree with this uh, public health data. And then uh, I noticed that Flint happened to when they were listing the public health data, they happened to um, couple various uh, uh, zip codes in Flint. And again, as a Flint native, I know that there are qualitative differences in these zip codes. So long story short, you're not really telling anybody anything. Um, and then in addition to that, um, I just, I just began to become concerned about, well, if person X is complaining and we're not hearing it on the news, who else is complaining and how, how big of an issue is this really? And so, um, then I, you know, because I'm a nosy person, uh, I start sending um, FOIA requ- uh, requests. And I started, um, you know, I continued to be in contact with the people in Flint. Long story short, again, um, there was pushback, not really wanting to give me the complaints. And then by that point, I had, you know, dug in my heels. Um, I was going to go my route with regard to studying this topic. And, um, and then I began um, filling out uh, formal 
uh, IRB requests, et cetera, to, to really look at the data um, and get my hands on all of the public data that I could. Um, and so then I went into the, the mode of doing a deeper search in terms of looking at which agencies I needed to contact to look in, into this, this topic. And so I, all of that's a long, 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 long thing that I shared there. But essentially, um, they play Flint. Um, I found out about it, and then they tried to play me, and and then and then I wrote a book. <laughs> you know, that's a great story because it's just telling us the importance of people doing research and community connections that are so important because if you had not grown up there, do you think you would have had that inside track? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Now, you know, you talked about in your book about the model cities era. Yes. Tell us about life as a black person during that time. Ooh. The folks in Flint, they were they were, you know, somewhat in a better space. Many people had come up from the south, right? And so and and this is in search of um GM jobs. And and so they they came into a better situation, right? At the same time, it was better economically in terms of being or having access to jobs that could pay better wages. However, the social environment was not welcoming at all, right? The same uh, white immigrants or white natives they ran into in the South were the people they ran into in the, in the North. And there was the same concern. Essentially, I don't want to live around you. I don't want to share my resources with you, etc. And so, uh, black folks um, dealt with a lot of discrimination. They dealt with a lot of uh, economic, or they dealt with the reality of economic bars in that in in job bars. So there were certain jobs that they could have with NGM, and certain jobs that they could not. Um, gain access to, and their environment was incredibly um, marred with uh, uh, disorder, or not disorder, blight. Let's let's be clear. Sometimes we we confuse um, the realities of poor folk with uh, uh, deficits, um, shortcomings on their part, etc. So no, um, we're talking about blight, blight that was left behind because the city did not take care of their side of, of the, of the, of the um, um, area. And, you know, there was generally slow um, or slow maintenance efforts um, if maintenance happened at all. For instance, I, I remember writing about one um, neighborhood in Flint um, that became uh, one of the areas covered by the Model Cities program, uh, and, you know, this area um, basically had homes that were recently built, but those homes were so poorly um, constructed, uh, you know, essentially things were falling off of the homes. There were no doorbells, uh, um, you know, and it, at that time, if in addition to having homes that were essentially um, crumbling <laughs> um, 
and 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 really couldn't um you know these these homes were crumbling they they really couldn't really support the families that that lived within them it's important to note that at that time there were two or three families living in one home so not only were the 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 homes poorly you know constructed there are several families living there the neighborhoods were um underserved uh the people were harassed they were restricted heavily black life was difficult uh in flint and elsewhere at this time and so the model cities program came into being to give people um some life give them uh, uh access to uh services uh um um it, that program was about empowerment it was really about empowering our neighborhoods that were left behind by uh, our so-called urban renewal plan for the 1940s. You know, and so these 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 neighborhoods that that were um, destroyed because highways were were built right through them, those were the neighborhoods that were targeted by the Model Cities program. And so I started this book with that um, moment in Flint. Because, you know, here we are, we had an opportunity to clean up, clean up the mess, clean up what, um, what racism did, what classism did, right? Um, the clean up the product of opportunity hoarding in that space by um, extending opportunity to jobs, giving residents a voice in their community, allowing them to um, uh, uh vote in people who represented them who would then have a, a voice in how the city functioned, right? Uh, they they patrolled their communities. It was, it was such a thorough program, but ultimately it was pie in the sky because the, the, the structure couldn't handle that promise, right? Racism on the ground wouldn't let up. The stakeholders at the time didn't want there to be an expansion in opportunity. So that effort essentially failed, but that effort birthed uh, many groups. Now, and I don't want to say people didn't fight in Flint before then, right? There were many of, you know, Flint has a long history of fighting back in, in being um, an, in a community that um, cared about uh, its people and that advocated for itself. But during this particular period, um, black clubs, um, I mean, we, we basically went from a few hundred to almost a few thousand, right? And this is just over time. We're seeing this um, manifest. We're seeing um, con concerned citizens groups emerge. You know, there was a concerned citizen group about the North End of Flint, then there's, there's somebody concerned about this. So they, they name their concern, concerned citizens of X. They're, these groups were popping up left and right. And so I wanted to start there because um, although that Model Cities program uh, was a failure, right? And that it did not empower the citizens as uh, the policy makers envisioned, envisioned right? Um, 
but it was successful in sort of setting up those those concerned citizens groups in Flint, uh, giving them a, a voice, and 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 with that, that you know, we began to sort of see these groups in their in their efforts over time. And so I wanted to make sure that we were clear that Flint has always been busy advocating for itself. The water crisis is just one incident, one, one, one chapter in the city's history. Yes, and you talked about the school integration and what happened with the teachers, the Black teachers in particular. Mm-hmm. Describe that a little more. Well, what was happening during that time, uh, the city of Flint was really supported by the Mott Foundation. Um, the Mott Foundation was influential in helping the city develop its community education initiative, which was was really something extraordinary and different. I mean, nationally, people would come to Flint to study how Flint delivered its education. Um, and how how what was this all about, essentially? the purpose of um, the community education was to educate the entire family. And so you could very well, you know, schools were open in, in some cases until 10 or, or eight to 10 at night because um, there would be after school op- opportunities, um, teen clubs, vocational opportunities for parents um, within these schools. And, you know, every neighborhood had a school. Right. Um, during this time, uh, despite all of that, uh, that progressive thought, uh, the stakeholders, the, the people that um, held the purse strings, uh, Mott Foundation in particular, believed in maintaining racial segregation. And so uh, you had Flint schools that were um, an example to the nation with regard to how education was was being um, delivered, right? But it was not an example with regard to um, how resources were distributed across race groups. And so you would have uh, teachers who were um, uh, Black, and and in some cases, um, the it wasn't the case that all black uh, teachers went to the black schools, but it was the case that that was, you know, that was the general trend. But the other trend that's important to note that the the teachers that had the most um, training, the most experience, also you know went to schools that were on the um, outskirts of the community or schools that were um, uh, majority white. And, and so what had to happen, you know, there had to be a pushback, it, some effort to change the environment, to change the atmosphere. Um, several moves were made, lawsuits were um, filed, um, and essentially, you know, it, it took a consent decree um, to desegregate um, Flint schools. But this process didn't really sort of... Um, let's say, progress, make any significant progress until the 80s. Because despite all of those efforts to um, desegregate um, um, schools where where 
the the children were predominantly black. Um, um, you know, those efforts weren't successful because people were so wet to um, their way of life, um, and in and in particular the way of life that I'm referring to, keeping black children from the best educational resources in, in, in the, in the, um, in the area. And so again, that was not just about books. It was also about how teachers were, were distributed and how they were compensated and the extent to which they were given opportunity for, um, advancement. You know, you talked about the tale of two flints. Describe that a little bit more when you were looking at the water situation and just living there in general? Uh, uh, it's, it's really important um, that, that we get this piece because, uh, and, I, and I really love this question that you just raised, because a lot of the confusion at the start of the water crisis had to do with the fact that people had qualitatively different experiences because they lived in different um, places within the city. Uh, it's, it's, it's important to keep in mind that um, a place like Flint has been really uh, undermined by uneven development. And so you will have a lot of interest in maintaining certain parts of the city, uh, like the downtown area or the east you know, side of the city. Meanwhile, the places where I was born or where I was raised, the north side, is abandoned, discarded, etc. In, in, in such that people, you, you know, um, when there's a heavy snow, uh, you can expect the streets to um, not get cleared. Uh, you can expect the police not to show up for 911 calls, etc., and so there are in these in these same places we know particularly now after you know after work has been done to sort of look at or look for lead service lines we know those same places where uh that have been discarded where that didn't get the the development uh those places where the community or rather the business community um, abandoned, those places are heavily, you know, those those are the places where lead service lines are concentrated. Those are also the places where brownfields are concentrated, brownfield sites, sites of, of, of contamination. And I should also say, those are sites where our water main breaks are concentrated. So those folk, living on the parts of the city where um, the lead service lines have been replaced, right? Um, uh, years prior to some degree um, and where people have a bit more money to work with, better resources to work with. Um, they're saying when this water thing happens, what are y'all talking about? I don't see any issue with my water. And, and so, you know, some sort of, you know, tensions emerged within the community because there was a, a concern that people were just playing to the, to the crowd. They were playing to the cameras when the cameras showed up, right? Um, 
And they were just spinning this story and really making the city look bad. Like, how dare you say that the water is bad? You know, we, you know, you need to find something else to do with your time. In, in, in fact, there were people um, saying that folks, you know, uh, ew, this is interesting here. Um, in fact, there were people saying that people came in from out of town, professional protesters, right? And so, uh, you know, again, people uh, were making the claim that folks just didn't have uh, enough to do with their lives. And, and those who, um, who weren't, uh, um, you know, just busybodies, uh, they were looking for attention. They were parachuting in just to, uh, uh, you know, catch a few, you know, interviews and, and, and leave the city. And so the, there was certainly a tale of two cities. And, 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 and I think for the most part, if this were to happen in any other city, it would probably emerge in the same way because people, they, you know, the spaces within, a, you know, any given city are likely very different. And this is all shaped by um how we provide for the citizens in those spaces and the extent to which we value the people there. Is Flint fixed? Nope. <laughs> no, Flint is not fixed. Um, it is probable. It, it, it Actually, I should say, let me say it like this. Flint is not fixed, but Flint is on the mend, right? I, I just saw a YouTube clip put up by the city of Flint that stated its intentions um, to complete the, the lead service line replacement um, program or its efforts by the end of this year. But I should also be clear in stating that uh, this was supposed to be done a year ago. Um, and this process began in 2016 the process of even fixing the lead pipes. Uh, this city will likely continue to have problems even after it completes this 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 um, this program or its its efforts to replace the, the lead service lines, uh, primarily because of how they approached uh, this whole recovery. Um, there were so many balls dropped, um, issues that emerged where I think the recovery process itself is tainted. And so not only will it take years, I think, to really complete the process, um, and that is uh, fix the targeted um, parcels, um, deal with the water distribution um, system, and really, there should be a good look at at the city's treatment plant. Um, I think that's going to take some time. Um, we're we're talking perhaps another five or so years, in in my opinion, to really clear this out. Uh, but I but the whole battle to win the trust of of Flint residents, that battle is going to last for years. Well, we've taken up enough of your time. I've enjoyed the conversation. What are you working on next? What can the audience be looking forward to with your next project? 
Well, I think for the most part, I I intend to stay with uh, lead poisoning to some degree. I really care about us getting this right, and for the most part, it's been really it's 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 been hard to link um, the lead service line uh, issue to um, blood lead contamination, primarily because we don't collect the data. And, and so my plan is to go in and um, look at various uh, counties at the same time so that, you know, there's a greater mass of people because the data that we have to get our hands on um, is the data that, that looks at what's happening with kids under one years old. You know, we, we, uh, we're biasing the data to some degree by looking at folks over one who generally are not as reliant on water as those people under one, um, particularly babies who aren't bottle fed or who are bottle fed. And so the plan is to take a closer look at um, blood lead contamination and um, uh, sort of built environment or factors in the built environment that cause those problems to continue. And then the other uh, uh, component of research that I'm going to uh, you know, move forward with is land dispossession. And um, these, uh, 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 these efforts throughout the country to create land banks. I'm wondering how these efforts are, um, are developing. If in, in whether or not they're developing um, like the land bank in Genesee County, Michigan, which is really the model land bank uh, nationally, uh, that that land bank um, hasn't has its de- detractors. Uh, and, and so I'm very interested in seeing how this land bank compares to what we're seeing nationally. Well, we'll be looking forward to your research. Thank you.